When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Trump World star witness has sunk their case against Fannie Willis. Oh, wow. We have such an interesting show for you today. Senator Tammy Baldwin joins us to talk about the Republican billionaire handpicked to run against her. Spoiler, he doesn't live in Wisconsin. Then we will talk to congressional candidate Sue Altman, who is taking on a vulnerable House Republican in central New Jersey. But first we have the host of The Time of Monsters, The Nation's G-Tier. Welcome back to Fast Politics, fan favorite and my personal favorite, G-Tier. You'll always be my favorite. <laughs> this is like one of these weeks where I keep thinking, well, that's, they can't, they're not, they're not going to do this because it's too politically stupid. And at every point, we need to talk about Mitch McConnell because yesterday, the Grim Reaper of the Senate, he gave a speech on the floor, Father Time is undefeated. He's going to roll it up. He's going to make room for MAGA. He is no longer going to be minority leader discuss. One interesting thing about uh, Mitch McConnell, his announcement that he's going to retire is the reaction of the Freedom Caucus, because they, they had this kind of like really nasty tweet, basically like, you know, dancing on his grave before he's buried. The thing is, like, if you were a Republican, you would think like, 
well, this is a guy who's given us everything we wanted. Mitch McConnell, more than anyone else, is responsible for the 6-3 Supreme Court, which will you know, ensure that the Supreme Court is in right-wing hands for the next generation and has really, like, really pushed the federal courts to the right, has really weaponized every power in the Senate, has like, you know, overturned all these bipartisan traditions to do so and has been like to give the devil his due, you know, has been really effective. So the fact is like even that legacy is like, you know, it's not enough. And in fact, he is now seen as like, uh, you know, Rhino, right? Rhino Mitch McConnell, <laughs> who, who, which really shows you where the party is. And it seems like the Ukraine issue is like the big kind of fault line. And it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned his age. The younger Republicans in the House and in the Senate are all the ones who are like really the hotbed of opposition to funding Ukraine. And the people that are like still supporting Ukraine and have some vision of a, you know, bipartisan foreign policy, they're all like Mitch McConnell. Like they're all like, you know, one foot in the grave. Not to be, you know, offensive to our yeah. beloved elderly senior citizens, but still, this is the fact. That shows you where the Republican Party is going, which is, you know, like, unfortunately, like Mitch McConnell, horrible person, as responsible for the sort of gridlock and polarization as anyone, even I would say more than Trump, but still a rhino. This is a preview of where we're going. Yeah, you know, what I'm struck by with McConnell, though, like McConnell is, is really good at his job. Like he is really genuinely, truly, with the exception of wanting to fund Ukraine, which is really, you know, I think more about his belief, his sort of Reagan-ish belief in nation building and less about his care for the Ukrainian people. But OK, like that's one of the few times where he's really sort of been on the right side of things. But he is a truly, truly evil. His political calculus is evil, but brilliant and very good at it. And so what I think is kind of amazing about this, and we see this in the House of Representatives right now, is that MAGA, the people who are willing to go along with MAGA tend yeah, they tend to be morons. And so what we see in the House right now, I mean, Mike Johnson is unbelievably bad at this job. Yeah, yeah. No, and in some ways, I mean, like one has to be grateful for, for this, that they have decided uh, we'd rather be stupid than win. And, right. uh, you know, like, good luck to you guys. Uh, that I mean, They would rather, and, and it's partially because MAGA, I mean, like, you know, if one thinks of Trump, it is a politics of expression. It's a politics of we're just going to, you know, go on Fox and say these, like incendiary things and be trolls and get people mad at us and then rake in the dough that you're going to get from small donors. I mean, that's one model of politics. And in some ways, I mean, it's it's bad. And I would say I would say it's less bad or more bad, but it's bad in a different way than Mitch McConnell, yes. who really actually had an agenda of basically, I mean, the thing with Mitch McConnell is he wanted to serve the donor class, you know, like, like the, the the wealthy people. You got bang for your buck with McConnell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He delivered. He delivered, yeah. you know. The MAGA people, I mean, it is more of a sort of small donor model and it's more of a entertainment model where, you know, like you really become the Fox News celebrity and you can rake in money that way. Well, both end up making America dysfunctional, but maybe in, in different ways. I do actually think that the Democrats will have in some ways better luck with MAGA, like in terms of 
like winning on the margins and keeping them from doing destructive things. Well, I mean, what's interesting to me about MAGA is that it's not so appealing to most people. I mean, there even like uh, there was recent, uh, recent, again, I hate polls. So I'm, I hate every time I say poll, I want to like, I have to like give myself an electric shock. But there was some recent evidence that Christian nationalist beliefs are actually wildly unpopular, shockingly wildly unpopular in this country. So like smart MAGA would have been like, well, you know, we want to, do this, but we're going to pretend to be normal. But there is no smart MAGA, right? It's an oxymoron. Yeah, no, that's right. All, I, uh, maybe another way to put it is that the smartness comes from a different way of uh, achieving goods. I do think that the producer theory of Donald Trump was right all along. You know, he did kind of think like, you know, if I lose this thing, I can make a lot of money. I think that there is a way in which the audience that you can get from being stupid and incendiary and not getting things done, but riling people up, you know, you can make money on that model. And it does seem like the career goals of people like Green, say, the House, is to, you know, become future right-wing celebrities, to become kind of like Newt Gingrich-type figures where you can, like, do a lot of speaking tours and rake in the dough from that audience. And whether you achieve anything or not is, like, in some ways immaterial. Like, you can make more money. And actually, I think Santos, in some ways, was the most interesting example of this because I think his goal was actually to lose. And unfortunately, he ran against New York State Democrats <laughs> who actually, like, right. you know, managed in a year where Democrats never performed. Like, they wrecked his plan by being, like, even less confident than he was. Yeah, I mean, that, just to take a minute to fully talk about how stupid my state is. Our governor just signed into law a gerrymander, which basically does nothing, right? So they redistricted New York State, and instead of giving themselves a bunch of seats, which you would do in any other red state ever, right? I mean, most red states, they've gerrymandered so badly that the courts have have to come in. Instead of gerrymandering, even just a tiny bit to make it fucking fair, uh, our governor, who is theoretically a Democrat, just signed in this thing, which basically shores up a few incumbents and fucks everybody else. Well, again, again, you have to ask, what is the business model? The business model is you protect the incumbents and not care about the party as a whole. And I, I think, I mean, I'm actually grateful that Democrats in many other parts of the country are not like that, but you are actually seeing state Democratic parties that, that actually, you don't want a, a power to govern and to like actually do things. But unfortunately, as things now stand, that is not the New York model. Yeah, Pritzker, please come here and run for governor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I would also mention Michigan and Wisconsin. But so, yeah, I, I just think uh, New York is a little bit anomaly in a sense. It is an old style political machine of the sort where, you know, it's all about jobs. You're creating jobs for your buddies. Exactly. And uh, just very annoying on all parts. Let's talk for a minute about Michigan, Democrats, Republicans. You can make Michigan as unhappy as you want for any number of reasons. But why I want to talk about Michigan with you is because I want to talk about a guy called Bill Ackman, who is very, very, very rich. And because he's very, very rich, he believes that he knows a lot about politics because he's very rich. So one of the things he did was he gave a bunch of money to a guy called Dean Phillips, who, to quote Darwin Greenfield, who the hell is Dean Phillips? Still not clear, but he predicted that Dean Phillips would win Michigan. 
Did Dean Phillips win Michigan? <laughs> Dean Phillips not only did not win Michigan, uh, he got considerably fewer votes than uh, uncommitted. The thing is, like, the Dean Phillips like, always struck me. I was thinking about writing about it, but like, honestly, one of my editors, who's not as rich as Bill Ackman, said, you know, like, <laughs> you really want to waste your time writing about Dean Phillips. Like, this guy's a non-entity. His whole campaign, like, actually makes no sense because... I mean, initially he started with, you know, maybe a plausible premise, which is I'm a Biden Democrat, but, you know, Biden's too old and you'll elect me. I'll do everything Biden does, except I'll be young, you know? Okay, fair enough, right? And But that wasn't really like resonating because people didn't say, well, who's Dean Phillips? And then he like started to like run to Biden's like right, like. Well, and also his left. Yeah, that's right. He did both things. First, he actually said, you know, uh, what for, you know, like I, I support Medicare for all. You know, and uh, that didn't work. And then, like, later started playing footsie with the uh, no labels guys, which I think is where Bill Ackman maybe comes in with that sort of, I'm a centrist middle of the road, you know, Biden has gone too far left. So basically, you have a campaign that, like, to the very small number of sickles, like you and me, who actually know who Dean Phillips is, you're watching this and you're like, you know, like, what, what is this man doing? Like, well, like, he's actually, like, occupied every space in the political spectrum always getting the same result. With Bill Ackman, I have to say, classic case, you know, the saying is, if, you, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? But I think it's actually like, if you're so rich, uh, why are you so dumb? There's evidence for this. That once you reach a certain level of wealth, which you know, I pray you and I reach and, and have this yes, problem, but once you reach a certain level of wealth, it actually like impairs you cognitively. Like you cannot understand <laughs> the world the way a normal person does. And you know, once he's just like repeatedly in Bill Ackman's behavior, I mean, even beyond this, he started this feud with a former president of Harvard, which ended up leading to this massive embarrassment of Ackman's wife because, you know, there's the accusations of plagiarism against a former president. But it turns out that, like, you know, Ackman's wife, you know, had a, did a PhD, but on a much greater scale. Like, I mean, she literally did, you know, the stuff that high school students are warned against, which is taking Wikipedia and just, like, cutting and pasting it into your work. <laughs> I would say that, like, you know, the recent career of Bill Ackman does kind of indicate that, like, you know, once you reach a certain level of wealth, you're sort of feel immune to anything and you cannot absorb reality the way that ordinary people have to. Because they, they, they live in a world of consequences. Right. One of the things I'm struck by is that Republicans, they always say like liberals live in an echo chamber. Like we live in a bubble. We're in a bubble. They're in the real world. And when you listen to that little video of Bill Ackman on this guy, Lexi, whatever, there, there's a whole like Silicon Valley. Lex Friedman. He's not Silicon Valley. Okay. What is he? He's an MIT scientist who went on Joe Rogan and then decided he was Joe Rogan. Okay. So that asshole. He has a podcast and he invites other people who he deems to be wealthy tech bros. I mean, basically, there's a terrible group of wealthy tech bros who are torturing us because they've decided they're pundits. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about listening to Bill Ackman talk is like it's clear that wherever he gets his information, there's a sort of self-referential kind of media bubble that he is in that has convinced him that maybe Dean Phillips will win the state of Michigan. Now, I want to pause for a minute and just add the caveat that not only did Dean Phillips not win the state of Michigan, but Marianne Williamson, who had dropped out of the race. A friend of the podcast and family friend, Marianne Williamson, did in fact beat Dean Phillips. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, I know. I mean, I just, uh, it, it goes to show you the, the limits of Dean Phillips. And I have to say, like I said, like, like really, honestly, 
Like, you have to be a really hardcore political sicko of the sort that we are to even know who <laughs> Dean Phillips is. But beyond that, I, I mean, like, to the extent that people paid attention to him, I do think that his political meanderings, the fact that he has run both, you know, as Biden, to the left of Biden, to the right of Biden, circling around Biden, below Biden, above Biden, I think that might have put off uh, voters and it made uh, Williamson a more attractive candidate. <laughs> Well, I think they like Marianne Williamson because she has crystals. And I think crystals are very, you know, if you're going to run for president, you should have crystals. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I, I mean, I, to be honest, like if I were, you know, thinking about voting for uh, someone that wasn't Biden and wasn't uncommitted, yeah, uh, Williamson would, would actually be my preferred choice. Beyond the crystals, you know, like she, she actually stands for what she stands for. So, yeah, I, I do think uh, hats off to the uh, voters of Michigan in the category of third and fourth place. They made the right call. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. In the category of third and fourth place. Good point. Jeet, one of the other stories that I feel like has really fallen under the fallen below the radar is the story of, and I think it's a doozy, the Biden impeachment which they were really excited. They had this great, great, great witness. He was an FBI informant. He turns out to have been lying. He is now sitting in a jail cell in Nevada. Yesterday, they had what they thought was going to be this sort of moment for them. Uh, the Hunter Biden testimony, closed door testimony, which they had been working so hard to get. Wah, wah, wah discuss. Yeah. You know, you talk about a fishing expedition. I mean, this is like literally the only reason this has ever come up is because Trump was impeached twice. I think the meta theory of all this is that the the House is MAGA. Johnson is speaker because of uh, MAGA. He wants to serve MAGA and they have been very eager to create a uh, trumped up case, to use the uh, the appropriate word, against Biden. And I think it's kind of significant that even honestly, like, I feel like I could do a better job. Like, I'm pretty sure I could go through Biden's record and find something that what could make a, you know, like semi-plausible, not totally offensive impeachment case for, you know, like maybe uh, he said something that wasn't true and you could make a case that he was like undermining trust or whatever. I, I don't know. Anything at all. Like, I feel like like the, like the fact that they go to this dog poo that is like, you know, the Hunter Biden stuff, <laughs> they're really committed to this. And again, this goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is, you know, what's the model here? Is the model that you're going to do like effective politics and achieve your goals? Or is it that you're going to serve the vast entertainment complex that is the traveling Trump roadshow. And within that traveling Trump roadshow, you know, all the Hunter Biden, Biden crime family, laptop stuff, that really resonates them with the, uh, that particular group of people, thankfully a small minority of Americans. And like, Thanks. it seems like weird <laughs> to right. everyone else. And then like, okay, you know, well, you know, we've been having a lot of fun. I have to say, you know, like there's some dark clouds for the Democrats. But sure. I have to say the one thing that gives me hope is that the Republicans have lost the ability to be normal. To One could posit that we've always been dealing with lizard people that have worn human masks. But in, in the past, some of those masks were like semi-plausibly human, such as even our friend Mitch McConnell. But they've lost that ability. Brilliant, brilliant point. Jeet here, I hope you will come back. You can't keep me away, Molly. <laughs> 
AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Did you know Rick Wilson and I are bringing together some friends for a general election kickoff party at City Winery in New York on March 6th? We're going to be chatting right after Super Tuesday about what's going on, and it is going to probably be the one fun night for the next 
80 days. If you're in the New York area, please come by and join us. You can go to City Winery's website and grab a ticket. Tammy Baldwin is the junior senator from Wisconsin. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Senator Tammy Baldwin. I am delighted to be back. Thanks for having me. We are delighted to have you. Also, first we have to talk about what's happening in the United States Senate right now. You got to talk to me about the IVF thing because it's like, it's so top of mind right now. And the whole way it went down is, can you just talk us through what happened yesterday in the United States Senate with IVF and your namesake, Tammy Duckworth. The other Senator Tammy, yes. Well, let me start a little bit further back, which is to say when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, that was devastating enough news. But we knew it implied that other rights and freedoms were going to be under attack. And whether that was access to contraception or other cases they decided based on a right to privacy, or IVF. We knew that they were coming for these rights and freedoms. And sure enough, last week, an Alabama court ruled that embryos, whether they are inside or outside a uterus, are children and must be protected under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act. My gosh. I think of it as embryonic personhood. Exactly. That's exactly what they're saying. And so people who need IVF in vitro fertilization to build their families, and my colleague, Senator Duckworth, is a perfect example, felt the immediate threat by this case. And so she has long been a champion through this legislation to protect the right to build a family using IVF and other reproductive technologies. So we brought it up to the floor this week. And while there's a number of Republicans across the country sort of tripping over themselves to say, oh, no, I support IVF, I support IVF. When it comes to the opportunity to enshrine that in law, they object. They prevented it. They blocked it. And it is so frustrating. It's so frightening to people who rely on IVF. The way they did it was you saw people like Nancy Mace saying they believed in IVFs. And in fact, Nancy Mace had a sort of lame messaging bill that she put on or she said she was going to put on the floor. I don't know if she actually put on the floor, which would have said they believe in IVF, I guess, or something. And no, you know, I mean, these Republicans are not so good at legislating. But then Tammy Duckworth, they sort of set up an IVF bill and uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith was like, no thanks. That's exactly right. And this is the second time she has gone to the floor to block important legislation like this. Again, the Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision tipped its hand of what was coming next. And what we might see from the states. And of course, now we are seeing it. We have very strong reason to try to pass legislation to protect the many, many families who couldn't build a family but for in vitro fertilization and other assistive reproductive technology. One of the things that I'm struck by is, so Republicans wanted to use a woman to block this legislation, I guess. I mean, was that the thinking? And Mississippi is a state where voting is very hard. So despite the fact that the electorate looks very different than the senators, they have these very white conservative senators. Is that correct? 
Well, I certainly have no idea what they're thinking, but that's optics. I mean, she, she did indeed. I think this is the second occasion where she's taken to the floor to block this very important legislation to protect IVF and assistive technology for those who want to build their families. I would say it's also not a coincidence that Mississippi is right next door to Alabama. So I think that they're setting us up for some really scary days ahead. And, you know, we've got to fight back. Listen, they took 49 years trying to use every method they could to overturn Roe versus Wade. They took to state legislatures. They took to state courts. They ultimately had a case that made it through up to the Supreme Court. They overturned Roe versus Wade and then not so subtly told us all we're after other things next. Right. It's just shocking to me. So you are running for re-election, the state of Wisconsin, one of the very few states that actually matters in a presidential contest. Let's talk about how important your state is and also what your re-elect looks like. Yeah. So it's not an exaggeration to say that Wisconsin could decide which party controls the U.S. Senate and who occupies the White House. Trump won in 16 in Wisconsin with a very narrow margin under 1%. Biden won in 2020, again, by a razor thin margin. Our state often has statewide races that are pretty close to 50-50. We had the closest U.S. Senate race in the country in the midterms in 2022. So that's Wisconsin for you. I think that with a very likely rematch between Trump and Biden, it's going to be hard fought. And now in Wisconsin, we have just last week, a candidate recruited by Washington, D.C. Republicans launching his campaign. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, my opponent, Eric Hovde. He's a California bank owner. He's the president and CEO of SunWest Bank, a $2.8 billion California bank. He has a $7 million ocean view estate in Laguna Beach. He lives so much of the time in California that three years in a row, he was named among the most influential business people of Orange County. Wisconsin doesn't have an Orange County. I'm telling <laughs> you, this guy, this guy hangs around in California, but he is uh, coming back to Wisconsin to run and self-fund. You know, it's no wonder he was recruited by Washington, D.C. Republicans. They want these candidates who, doesn't matter where they live, they want him to come to Wisconsin spend his own fortune on the race. Eric Hovde has said he'd spend as much as $20 million, maybe more, on the race. And within one week of the launch of his campaign, he's up on television. He did a million dollars statewide TV buy to get up. You know, it's eight and a half months out. Uh, that's a long time. You know, they have to do that because all of the other Republican donor money is going to Donald Trump's legal bills. So right. they yes. had to pick very rich candidates this cycle. And they're doing that all over the United States, including in the battleground state of Wisconsin. So in my campaign, it's people power. I can't self-fund. So we rely on folks to join in from all over the country on TammyBaldwin.com and help fuel this campaign. But he's just writing his own check. 
Right. And I want to talk about this as a broader trend in Republican politics, because it is a fascinating broader trend. You see that in Wisconsin, right? You have a guy who doesn't live in Wisconsin running for Senate. You got that in Pennsylvania. You have a guy who doesn't live in Pennsylvania running for Senate, right? He lives in Connecticut. You're seeing that you, these sort of billionaire carpetbaggers coming in on the ground. So you have to raise 10 times more money than you would otherwise, right? I mean, that's the net net of this, or is there other, I mean, like on the ground, do people see that this guy doesn't even live here or are they sort of being lulled? He was born in Wisconsin, but he, since he hasn't really lived in Wisconsin, people don't know who the heck he is, but he can buy that name recognition. And that's what he's doing right now by spending a million dollars in the first couple of weeks of his campaign on television saying, hey, this is who I am and trying to up his name recognition. So that's what's happening right now. But as we see this playbook, what I really want people to start focusing on is, okay, where are we on the issues? He does not represent Wisconsin values. We just had a long conversation about reproductive choice and freedom, IVF, et cetera. By the way, he ran in 2012 for U.S. Senate, lost, came in second in the Republican primary and then left the state again. In 2012, he said he is absolutely opposed to abortion rights, that he was opposed to embryonic stem cell research, that he, you know, was 100% pro-life. He's now being very squishy on the IVF issue, as many Republicans are, but I have to hold him at his original word. And so we need voters in Wisconsin to know that he is fine with a national abortion ban, that he is fine with the fact that there is very, very little access to reproductive, you know, abortion care and reproductive care in the state of Wisconsin. And then, you know, that's just one issue. He wants to overturn the Affordable Care Act. He wants to cut back on Social Security and Medicare. He's okay with lowering his own taxes for the ultra rich, but he wants middle class and working families to pay a little more. Oh my gosh, this is what Wisconsinites need to know. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting thing because IVF, it's very hard to find normal, educated people who don't believe that IVF is a net benefit, right? I mean, most people, I mean, it's hard to find people who don't, you know, who either haven't had a kid through IVF or haven't at least been grateful that it's available if they need it. I mean, one of the things I've really been impressed with this Republican Party is at every point they have let the zealots lead. And so at every point, even though it was politically quite stupid, even in my head, I thought, well, they'll never go after IVF. It's too stupid. IVF doctors have a huge amount of money. It's a, you know, like there's a reason we don't have tort reform, right? Like this is a group that's very powerful. Like you're not going to go against them. And in fact, at every point, Republicans have just made the stupidest, shockingly stupid choices. Yes. We're seeing it unfold in real time, Molly. (laughs) Here you are speaking to a, you know, people of Wisconsin, you're on the ground. I mean, you're also in the Senate, but you're back in Wisconsin a lot. What is the mood on the ground? Because one of the things I've really been struck by is that it feels like the mood in the pundit industrial complex is somewhat removed from the mood on the ground. So I'm curious what you're seeing in Wisconsin when you're talking to constituents. Well, certainly the issue of 
access to full reproductive options is still very resonant in Wisconsin. And I want to just talk about that for a quick second here, because I do get a chance to travel. And in the Washington, D.C. area, there are very few restrictions. And there's a palpable difference to be in a state or the district where the consequence of Dobbs is pretty minor. And then to be in a state like Wisconsin, which for 15 months had no access at all because of a a law passed in 1849 that was initially widely viewed as a criminal abortion ban. And to hear the harrowing stories of Wisconsinites who had Uh, a crisis in their pregnancy, who miscarried or partially miscarried and couldn't get services and were literally bleeding or becoming, uh, you know, getting a a high fever and not being able to access health care. And so, you know, when I'm home, this issue is still very palpable. I just want to explain there are now a couple of Planned Parenthood clinics providing service three, in fact, but that means three counties have service, 69 counties don't have access. And that's because a trial court judge said that they believe this 1849 uh, statute was not intended to cover this particular situation. But again, Wisconsin is one of those states where people get at a, a fundamental level what the Dobbs decision has meant and are very aware that folks are coming after other rights and freedoms that were implicated in the Dobbs decision. So that's not, that, that's certainly something that I think will motivate many voters. But beyond that, you know, I think we are still feeling the sting of prices at the grocery store, even though, you know, we read reports all the time that show how dramatically inflation has come down. We're seeing that the corporations have not lowered the price of their products that people rely on at the grocery store, but constituents see Democrats taking on that fight, whether it's trying to lower the price of healthcare and prescription drugs or standing up to corporate greed and uh, saying, look, there needs to be a watchdog on behalf of consumers. And so, you know, that's resonant also. So those are our are issues that are on top of mind. But these are really, in Wisconsin, it's pocketbook issues that people are, are focused on. Yeah, this is the thing that, like, with the Biden shrinkflation, like, pundits really made fun of that. But I actually think that people are quite irritated that they, you know, buy a bag of Doritos and there are less Doritos. Absolutely. They do it because they don't think we're going to notice, like, oh, it's still the same price. But, oh, family sizes went from 16 ounces for your wheat thins to 14 ounces. The toilet tissue is smaller. And... The paper towels and they're putting less dish soap in the same size bottle, but it's just uh, filled a little bit less. Come on. Consumers have enough on their minds to have to be measuring every ounce is kind of crazy. We do need a sort of government watchdog on our side, I think. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, one of the things I've really been struck by with Joe Biden, the pundit world is very mad at him right now for some reasons real and some reasons imagined. But what I'm very struck by is that he makes these sort of old school pushes for things that voters want, like more chips in the bag of chips. (laughs) And junk fees, I think, another great example. Yeah, junk fees. When he talked about that at the last State of the Union address, and I think a lot of people were like, what are junk fees? Oh, then they look at their, you know, 
all the different fees and things that are attached to various monthly bills they pay or one time only. Uh, it's quite something. It stacks up. It, it 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 piles up, and people see it every day. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Tammy Baldwin, I hope you will come back. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Sue Altman is a congressional candidate in New Jersey's 7th District. Welcome to Fast Politics, Sue Altman. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for having me. So you're running for the United States House of Representatives. Tell us. Yes, I am. So New Jersey's 7th District, which is the district that goes from coast to coast in New Jersey, from the Delaware River all the way to whatever that body of water is that separates us from Staten Island. It's a very interesting district. It's not the Hudson. It's a different body of water. What is it? I don't know. It has a long Dutch name. So NJ7 is currently represented by Tom Kane Jr. And this is a guy whose dad is the former governor back when I was a baby. He's a total Nepo baby. Which, again, a condition near and dear to my heart, but not so good for leadership. (laughs) Exactly. So he was a state senator for a long time. He doesn't hold town halls. He doesn't make public appearances. Just last week, we had a whole big demonstration outside of this fancy schmancy golf course in Union County. Because guess what? He was hosting Mike Johnson, the awful speaker of the House, Republican, obviously, for a fundraiser there. And the people of New Jersey just weren't having it. So they actually ended up moving the fundraiser, I think, because they were so scared because we had this whole protest going on outside. And God forbid we disturb them. But he doesn't make public appearances. And so instead, he takes his marching orders from Johnson. He takes his marching orders from from Trump is no spine. And what I would bring to the seventh is I'm a lifelong fighter for the people of New Jersey, and I plan on continuing that fight in Congress. So one of the reasons why we're having you on is because you are part of these flippable seats. You're one of these D triple C red to blue, where the House of the control of the House of Representatives, which right now Mike Johnson has by two seats, yep. will come down to districts like yours. So tell us about your district and sort of about how you plan to win it. Oh, it is such a winnable district. So it turns out this is the most highly educated district in the whole country, still represented by a Republican, which is prime <laughs> for the taking. It's the place I've lived most of my life. I grew up in Hunterdon County. You actually have three components of this district. You have the rural part, the last remaining rural area in the northern part of New Jersey, which has got Warren and Sussex County, which is really interesting because Tom Kane Jr. is not by no means a guy who is familiar with farms or rural areas or has any connection to that lifestyle at all. So I think there's a lot of votes we can get out there. Then we have a big affluent suburban area. And I grew up and I know how to grew up in this area. I know a lot of people who are Republicans in this area, particularly women, unaffiliated voters. And they are so frustrated with the direction the Republican Party has taken. When they signed up to be voters, they signed up with Christine Todd Whitman, who was the governor right. of Percy. Pro-environment, pro-choice. Look, I don't agree with her on a lot of issues, but she was part of that sort of old school Republican, kind of normie Republican world. That is not the Republican Party that we have today. And the people in this district are extremely frustrated and think that the Republican Party has gone completely off the rails. And Tom Kane Jr., who maybe they thought might have been a moderate or he ran as a moderate the last time he ran, simply hasn't been acting like a moderate in Congress. He has no spine at all. And then on the eastern side of the district is a more urban side of the district, Rahway and Linden. And those are directly connected to New York City by train, as is much of my district. 
So we can find votes in every nook and cranny of this district. It is a district that Biden won by four points. So this is not a Trumpy district. It's a presidential year. So turnout will be very high. And I think people are ready for a change. They're sick of cronyism. They're sick of the nepotism. And they're ready for someone who will go to Congress and fight for the people, represent them. When Tom McCain doesn't have town halls, it's disrespectful to the people in this district. So I will make myself available. I already have. He's creating a vacuum and this campaign's going to fill it. One of the things I think is quite interesting about this kind of Republican is there used to be you would have these sort of center of the road Republicans. But because the leadership in the House is so incredibly dysfunctional, they don't have the votes to let those people vote against crazy stuff. So Tom has had to vote for I mean, unless I'm not completely sure, but I would assume he's had to vote for the Mayorkas impeachment, the Biden impeachment. He's had to vote for, you know, cutting a CR that cuts the budget for 20%. You know, he's probably voted for some pretty insane messaging bills. I mean, there is no room for moderates anymore in that party. And look, that's their problem. That's not our problem. Our problem is to punch them in the ballot box for choosing extremism as a party, which is what they've done. They've enabled Trump. They've enabled extremism. There is so little courage in that party. They deserve to lose this race and they deserve to lose it badly. And not just this race, all over the country. They deserve to lose the House. Yeah. I never thought that they would come out against IVF. You know, they refused to support the bill to codify it. And in the House, Anna Paulina Luna you may remember her as a complete lunatic, just took her name off the House version of it. The attack on women's rights is appalling. And I think in my district in particular, this is what I'm hearing the most from a lot of the swing voters who might otherwise be Republicans. This is settled law in New Jersey, not just on the books. This is settled law culturally. Abortion, IVF, contraception, gay marriage. I mean, these are issues that like people in New Jersey haven't litigated for a generation And the idea that the Republicans are forcibly taking us back to have to have these conversations again. I mean, I will tell you, the eyebrows have been raised in this district and there's just no room for the way this party is treating women. And I think you're going to see a major backlash this cycle. And as a woman running, I think I'm a great messenger for that. And and I've had many friends who've had IVF and, you know, and, and the idea that this is at all controversial really boggles the mind. Yeah. Like, I guess they think that women don't vote or don't read or don't notice or they just don't care. I'm not sure there's a galaxy brain strategist thinking all this stuff out. I think they've caught the car with the Roe versus Wade overturning. And now it's just a completely uncontrollable wildfire against women. And I don't know if there's some kind of electoral strategist behind this. It doesn't appear like that to me. And I know Tom Kane has been completely without courage when it comes to these issues. There was a bill over the summer or before the summer that wouldn't allow women who needed abortions to leave military bases and go get them um, if the abortions were not legal in that area. And he voted for that bill when guy across the river, Brian Fitzpatrick, voted against it. And that's a Republican. So when Tom Kane has had the opportunity to stand up for women, he simply has not. And that's a terrible look. And I don't think you get away with that this cycle. So the big question that I'm very curious about is, do voters get it? Do voters hear it? Do voters know it? I think they do. Everywhere I go, and I've now talked to thousands of people, and I've talked to people across all party lines and people who are unaffiliated, and this and other issues of democracy, Trump's corruption, 
have definitely filtered into the regular people. And sometimes things take time. I mean, I know that the road decision should have been in play last cycle, but sometimes it takes time for people to really understand the ramifications of that and to see firsthand that there's no handbrake in the Republican Party. There is nobody who can control this extremist element. And the quote unquote Republican establishment is just hanging on for the ride. And that puts us all in danger. That's right. I think like one of the things that I feel like in pundit world is we're always like how much of what's happening is getting to voters. Like because, you know, we see the numbers for people who engage in mainstream media or even television, you know, and those numbers are down, down, down. So it's more of a sense of like, you know, are voters activated on the ground and are you seeing that? And it sounds like you are. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there are different circles of voters, right? There are the grassroots activists who I think are very activated. And I think everyone's kind of come to terms because many of these grassroots advocates came into political awareness when Trump got elected in 2016. And that's now like eight years ago. And so you're talking about a group of people who went from, oh, my gosh, Trump's elected. Let's start organizing to now this is a commitment they're making in their lifestyle, in their lives for democracy year in and year out. This is a seasoned bunch in NJ7, the grassroots organizations, the local municipal parties. They are a seasoned group of organizers, a seasoned group of people. They know how to knock doors. They know how to talk to voters. And my faith is with them. They are committed and they see what I see, which is that all of us, this is the price we have to pay to live in a democracy right now. We have to commit to getting people registered, signed up for vote by mail, persuading voters who might not normally vote and making sure. I mean, that's the job of the campaign and our grassroots organizers. It's our job to make sure that people understand what's at stake. And based on my conversations with people so far, I think the ground is very fertile for that conversation. And I think a lot of people are pretty aware of what the Republicans are trying to pull and the cynicism through which they govern. And I think that really frustrates people. You have the least effective, the least productive Congress we've ever had in American history. And there's a real people are real sick and tired of it. And they're sick and tired of the games because actual human beings are suffering as a result of it. You know, it's funny because I think about there was a piece in the Times recently about how liberals are tired and not engaged. But it does seem to me like they're not. It seems like they're quite engaged. And I think that the threat to democracy Plus, these weird additions to the Republican war on women's health have been very motivating. They're very motivating. I mean, I don't know. I didn't read that New York Times piece. I probably wouldn't have if I saw it. (laughs) But I would invite that reporter to come to New Jersey 7 because we've been packing rooms. There's a lot of buzz in the air right now. We have a lively U.S. Senate primary. There's a lot of conversation about what it means to be in a democracy in New Jersey, but also across the country. And people are fighting fiercely for the right to live in this democracy. And we see it as part of what's happening around the globe. So I feel very strongly that the people in NJ7, the advocates, but eventually the voters will be very engaged in this race. Um, This is a sophisticated district with a lot of commitment to democracy, the idea of democracy, the ideals behind electing a representative who goes to Congress and actually represents the district, not a distant entity like the National Republican Party. Those ideals hold firm in this district. And I know that our voters will see what's happening and vote accordingly. What do you think the sort of thinking on the ground there is? Like, I mean, is he out? Is he campaigning? I mean, what does it look like? Oh, Tom Kane doesn't campaign. No way. People ask me, will he debate you? I was like, I would love a debate with Tom Kane. Bring it on. I'd love a debate. I'd love a one-on-one basketball game. Whatever he wants to participate in with me, I am there. But he won't do it because he's a coward. He never showed up as a state senator. 
He didn't show up as a candidate for U.S. Congress, and he's not showing up as an actual congressman. Imagine getting elected to the U.S. Congress. It is the honor of a lifetime. It is the most humbling responsibility anybody could be tasked with. And your response to that challenge is to never come out in public and to only hang out with donors and only hang out with national Republican Party figures. I mean, it's one thing to make that choice as a candidate and to say, okay, my strategic advantage is if I don't stick my head out. But it is entirely different. It is a dereliction of duty to make that choice as a sitting congressman. And the people in J7, they're hard workers. They care about feeling represented. And Tom Kane Jr. is not doing his job. And you say that and you get a lot of ears perking up from people across the political spectrum. You can't get away with being a lazy congressman in New Jersey. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, right? Like that they're that there we've had these times where we've seen Republicans refuse to I mean, it's happened on the Democratic side, too. I mean, it's why Democrats lost the House. I mean, they just didn't engage with those mm-hmm. flippable seats. Yeah. I mean, that's a mistake this campaign won't make. I think we should go after and we will go after voters in every area of this district and we will pursue them and not just to get their vote, but to hear what's on their mind and to make sure it's incorporated into how we run this campaign and how it will serve as a congressperson once I get there. People want to feel like they have a voice. They want to feel like when they elect someone, that person will do their darndest to represent this district. We did a youth roundtable over the summer and youth are amazing because they have such little tolerance for nonsense and BS. And over and over again, and we did this, I'm a former teacher, so we did a great exercise where it was very interactive. And over and over again, the underlying message was, we don't have to agree with every single policy that you have or every single stance that you take in. What we want to feel like is you're going to go to Congress and you're going to fight for us. You're going to know where we're coming from. You're going to understand the struggles we're feeling. And for young people, it's they have to move back to their parents' house. They can't afford to break out on their own after college or after trade school. And they want to feel like somebody's in Congress who's going to fight for that stuff. That's it. That's what they care about. They want to feel represented, which is the original idea behind Congress. And it's what's so awful and disrespectful about the way Tom Kane represents this district. Tell us your backstory. So I grew up in Hunterdon County. I played a lot of basketball and actually ended up playing basketball in college and then professionally for two years as well which was great. I played in Ireland and Germany. Um, I wasn't quite good enough for the WNBA, uh, although I'm I'm thrilled that women's basketball and women's sports right now seems to be having a moment. And it, it couldn't delight me more to see that happening. After I was done there, I was a teacher for four years in Blairstown. And then I went to Oxford in England for two degrees, one in international comparative education and one in business and MBA. When I came back, I fought both Chris Christie and corrupt Democrats, which you might not be surprised to find out. We have no. It's New there. Jersey. We it know. is New Jersey, and you know, yeah. Bob and Ed. We're does. aware. Yeah. <laughs> Corruption, I think, best exemplified by what we've learned about Bob Menendez. But I fought corruption in both parties. And particularly, I fought for school and I fought for schools and school funding and saw what Chris Christie was doing, which was decimating our public school system, something that, you know, my parents moved to New Jersey to have. I was the beneficiary of a wonderful public school system in New Jersey. And that remains a centerpiece of my campaign. Um, I was recruited from uh, community organizing in Camden, New Jersey, which is where I was for uh, seven years of my life. Um, doing a lot of organizing down there. Uh, We fought actually in particular against a tax incentive policy that fleeced, in my opinion, fleeced the New Jersey taxpayers to the tune of a billion dollars. And that really gives me a lot of credibility when I go and talk to unaffiliated voters who feel like New Jersey's taxes are too high. They don't know what happens when they pay their tax money. And the fact that I've been able to fight both parties 
against corruption and the poor use of public resources really gives me a lot of credibility in some of these places where they're a little skeptical of both parties, frankly. But from there, I was recruited to run New Jersey Working Families and in a statewide level, created coalitions and brought in partners to really fight corruption at a systematic level. We used litigation and legislation and other tactics to fight for democracy and against corruption in Trenton, which unfortunately really needs it and needed it at the time. And then when Tom Malinowski lost, my predecessor, hopefully predecessor in NJ7, at that point I had moved back to where I grew up after the pandemic. And uh, when he lost, it was obviously very heartbreaking, but I knew that this was a moment that even though I loved what I was doing in state politics, I loved creating a little bit of chaos, trying to clean up that place and set, set the record straight in Trenton. I knew that what was happening in Washington was a real triage moment and I needed to put my energy and focus and my abilities and all that I've been given to try to make sure that we had better representation in Congress than what Tom Kane was ever going to do. So that's my backstory. Well, that is a great and super interesting backstory. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep us posted. Okay. Wonderful, Molly. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Jesse. Come visit. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jung Fast, you know, one of the things you and I discuss a lot is how much we hate the governing body and the legislature in our home state of New York. What are you seeing here? Our governor had a chance, Kathy Hochul, to gerrymander some seats a la our favorite king, Governor Pritzker. And <laughs> instead, she decided to just let Republicans have it. And so she has signed into law a new redistricting map, which basically doesn't gerrymander and makes it much harder for Democrats to win back the House and is really good proof that when Democrats are not pushed, they will just do what is easy versus what is right. And so you have Republicans gerrymandering the whole Congress, and then you have Kathy Hochul somehow pretending that this was a big victory when, in fact, if Democrats lose the House, it will be because of Kathy Hochul. Just like last time when Democrats lost the House, it was because of Andrew Cuomo. So you can imagine how fucking pissed off Jesse and I are. Damn right. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. I'm late, I'm late.
Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.